All right. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm really excited about this episode today. There's going to be just a lot on uh, team building, you know, not to give it away, but high performance recruiting. Uh, I'm joined by Trent Condon. He is a longtime HR executive. He's worked at agencies, internally as a, a recruiting leader. He's currently the vice president of talent and culture at Hatchworks, a U.S.-based nearshore software development firm, uh, placing those types of candidates. He's the author of Sprint Recruiting. His new book, High Performance Recruiting, is set to launch uh, and be released towards the end of this year, maybe in January 2024. Uh, we connected a few weeks ago. I just was reading more of his content. I love his approach to recruiting and building teams. And we got on the phone, and it was very clear we needed to record this and share it with all of you. So, because uh, it's a lot of the styles that we preach at Digital Recruiter. So, um, I'm excited for this conversation. And, Trent, thanks for being here, man. Hey, thanks. I've been looking forward to this. Likewise, likewise. So we'll uh, we'll just dive right into it. Kind of typically always start, you know, uh, and I, this could be a long answer because you have you know quite a, <laughs> a impressive work history in the space. But how did you get into recruiting? Uh, by accident. Um, so in the club. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you had told me um, while I was in college, hey, you're you're going to go and eventually be in HR for almost twenty years, I would have laughed at you. I, I mean. I spent more time in HR for violating HR policies early in my career than I did, <laughs> you know, like making friends. So, uh, but I put myself through school working full time as a banker. So I did a full range of things, working in branches. I've worked with high net worth people. I did lending, both commercial and personal. And um, my daughter, I think, was one. So this was 2003, 2004. And, um, I enjoy the lending aspect. I loved meeting with clients, especially business clients and kind of going, okay, because a lot of what I did is with the, um, I wouldn't say small business, but like they were, they were founders and I was just fascinated with the way their brain worked. And I would always say like, what made you come up with this idea? You know, um, for me, it was a way to get them to actually talk and forget that I was about to ask them for business, but it was also a great way for me to really kind of learn how their business worked. But I got to the point where I was like, a loan's a loan. You know, I mean, I've, I've structured some big, sexy loans. I've structured some basic loans. If I'm going to do a career pivot with my daughter's age, as it is right now, now's the time to do it. And uh, growing up, my grandmother would always tell me, if you don't like something, go over there, break it, fix it, and make it the way that you want to. And so that was kind of my approach is if I'm going to pivot, what is something that I can go in and I can break that needs to be broken? And try my best to fix it. And HR was the first thing that came to mind because as a sales leader, as an executive, you know, I was, I was young. I mean, I was in my twenties managing 48 people across four different States, um, huge P and L responsibility. And, um, I hated working with HR and it's especially hated working with recruiters because they would send me over people. I'm like, do you know what we do? Like this person has no sales experience. Yeah. Yes, they can spell finance, but they have no sales experience. So I found a contract recruiter position working for a bank and I thought, okay, this is, I, this is something I know, something I don't know. And I uh, got in there and I spent probably the first six months being trained by recruiters. And I use air quotes because they, they weren't, there was a couple that were cold calling, but I remember one of them going, um, so look, whenever people like hang up on you, don't let it get you down. I'm thinking I got run out of office buildings. <laughs> you know, trying to cold call on people in the office building, getting hung on the phone. That's not going to hurt me whatsoever. So, um, I just, I, I took on a different approach because at the end of the day, recruiting is sales. You are to build, nurture and execute a pipeline. 
against a strategy. And that's all sales is. Good salespeople do that. And I find that good recruiters do that as well. So um, fast forward a couple of years. Uh, well, actually fast forward about a year and those people that were training me were reporting to me because the client, the internal client, the hiring managers liked my approach. I could talk to the, I could talk business with them, you know, and I needed to go and find candidates that met their job requirements because I had been in their shoes before. And, um, I've just continued to evolve that. I've done banking. I've done, um, Oh Lord, I've done certifications. I mean, I've been across industries, um, probably about an inch deep and a mile wide. And, um, believe it or not, my biggest fear, the only time that I really felt like I failed in recruiting was, uh, whenever I was a senior recruiter for a tech firm. Um, and I was there for nine months. It was right around 2008. And the largest clients for the group that I was supporting was Lehman Brothers, Wells Fargo, and Citigroup. Yikes. So, yeah, I was one of the first to go. And it, it really um, it really messed with my psyche. So whenever um, I got back into tech supporting on the bank side, um, I, was, I was very, very leery. And um, out of that, that uncomfortable, it really kind of forced me to innovate. And that, that's actually where sprint recruiting was, was birthed was out of that uncomfort. I, I love it. I, I want to get into sprint recruiting, but I have to say that is the first time I've ever heard a loan be described as sexy. Uh, <laughs> so there is a first for everything. And I just had to throw that out there because you said that and I was like, I can't miss, I can't, I have to bring that up. Oh, there's, yeah. there's a first for everything. So, uh, yeah. but I, I love it. I mean, when you get into whatever you're doing, that is kind of how we describe certain things, right? It's like, mm -hmm. it's all like when you're all in, it's just like, yeah, like in the moment, like that's what it is to you. But from the outside, looking in, it's, yeah. as you said, I can barely spell finance, but, but I would there, never think of it that way. Yeah. There, there's, there's actually a, a, a mental, um, thing scientifically. And, and I've done a lot of, I've just kind of gone headlong into it, but it's called flow state. And you know what you were talking about kind of being in that zone where time stands still, um, it's almost like, um, that beautiful mind where you're, you're just kind of moving the data or, or whatever you're working on. And it's like, you're in this whole different level. Um, and for me, it's important to make sure that I'm, I'm in a career that allows me to get into that space. I want to solve complex problems. Um, so yeah, there, there were, there were a couple of deals that were sexy just because they were very complicated, but also because I was being told you'll never get this to work. And that is the worst thing in the world. I will kill myself just to prove you wrong. Yeah, it, it's, I, I love that. It, I mean, I, and I, cause I know what you mean by, by that term and by saying it that way, it's how I feel, you know, if I'm building campaigns or mm -hmm. messaging or writing posts, I love it on my coaching calls. Like I, it's a one-on-one -on -one call, right? But I'm just there staring at the message. I don't, I'm not typing for a few minutes and they're like, wait, what's going on? I'm like, right. this is just the process. Like it, and it shows people like what goes into good messaging and yep. fixing your profile and the, you know, the calls and the setting up the frameworks and writing a piece of content. Like mm -hmm. I think it's good for people. It's fun to see people in their flow state, oh, right? I like, perform a kind it. of just like, right. And yeah. We, I mean, we see it with like, you know, I would say like musicians or athletes, right. All the time, kind of like mm -hmm. when they're, you know, they're on fire whatever else or just like a performance kind of really you, you feel it it's 
weird, but you kind of can have that working in loans or working in recruiting, yeah. like when you're just in the zone. And I think that's such a great thing to aspire for because that's mm -hmm. when you know you're fulfilled. Um, and it, it is. It's just like whether it is recruiting, you stumble into it or banking yeah. or whatever it is. Like that's what the search should be for. It's like what's going to get me in kind of the zone and the flow and just like and be able to produce and produce high results. Right. Um, it kind of you need that to get to that place. Mm -hmm. um, and there is the lead lag effect, but that's a huge lead uh, indicator that you're going to get. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm really big on, on leading and lagging. Um, and, and the other thing too, that, you know, that, that I try to impress on people whenever I'm coaching them is that success is intentional. If you, it, it's, you know, people go, Oh, success is not something you plan for. That's bull. That's bull. Anything that I put my mind to, I am planning to succeed and every ounce of my energy is going into whatever that definition of success is for that particular project, that search, that coaching. If you're not moving toward that, then for me, you're, you're, you're moving sideways. And that's, that's called being busy. It's not called being productive. And I hate being busy. I love being productive. It, it is. And that is a huge lesson to learn. It is the trap of being a producer, being an entrepreneur, like, it's like, am I, I have to constantly, am I being busy or am I being productive? And then right. when you have a team, right, is the team being busy? Are they being productive? Mm -hmm. And how do you, it's a lot easier to flip it for me than it is for them. So, uh, which, which you kind of dive into. So I, I guess let's start with sprint recruiting. Okay. We're going to talk about both books. I know you kind of mentioned they kind of flow into each other, mm -hmm. which is mm -hmm. perfect. Um, how did that come about? What is sprint recruiting? Uh, I know. It's, I know it's a long answer, but we'll start yeah. there. Well, yeah. I'm laughing because, um, you know, I, I have high function in ADD. And um, growing up in school, I was never, like, I always finished my work quicker. And that's why I would talk out, you know, I would make straight A's except for conduct because I just got bored. So sitting in a classroom, um, especially as an adult, especially as a producer, and especially as a leader of a team who at the time was under fire from our, our internal client. We were supporting um, the tech divisions within the bank. And um, ironically, my CHRO always put me into things that I didn't want to do um, and things that at the time I never saw was relevant. And this was one of those, one of those cases. It was um, design thinking for two weeks, I had two weeks off and then I had a week of Kanban training. I had a week off and then it was a week of Agile. And this was all toward the end of the year whenever, you, you know, you're trying to crank everything out. You've got meetings, you got holidays and all this other kind of stuff. And uh, I mean, I went into it kicking and screaming. And um, I, just a little side note, about three years ago, I sent her a text. Um, I said, look, I know I put you through hell for putting me through those classes, but it absolutely transformed my life. I mean, I mean I'm looking at it you know, six years later, and I'm like, this is so much of, of who I am, I wouldn't know how to like, distinguish myself. Um, so after going out of those, those classes, um, you know, the, the whole premise of this is, is how technology firms were able to build and deliver client centric products that worked. All right. So you know, you got your waterfall product, uh, project management, which is you follow a very sequential order. Agile was a lot more bursty. Um, it'll, for me, it was like, I, I was like, God, you know, every two weeks you're kind of getting those quick little dopamine hits that all of us look for. Like, Hey, we, this went well, this did not. And so I started thinking there's got to be some kind of implication for recruiting. And, um, you know, at the time I was actually considering getting out of recruiting. 
Uh, I spent more time running a daycare than I did actually providing strategy. I was chasing fires. I was listening to recruiters complain about hiring managers, hiring managers complain about recruiting. I'm like, I don't want to do this shit. Um, Agile gave me a chance to say, let me give this one more shot. And so throughout like probably the next 90 days, I really kind of dug in and I realized that there are four dysfunctions in recruiting. And every, every other little issue that you've got probably falls within one of these four dysfunctions. So the first one is that everything is a priority, which means that nothing is a priority. I call that the chicken little effect. At the time, our CIO um, drove me crazy because every 48 hours, it was a different emergency. This is now the top position. So I'd go and I'd reallocate resources to try and get that position only for 12 hours later for them to bring up in another emergency. And there, therein lies kind of the second one is that there's, there's no rhythm or there is no opportunity for us to do iterative improvement. It's like the, um, the classic Lucille Ball, uh, where she's in the chocolate factory. You know, that's how I feel like a lot of us as recruiting, you know, outside of, you know, what people looking in, you know, we're kind of keeping it together, but inside we're just stuffing chocolate wherever we can. And, and the belt just continues to speed up. And then the other is that, you know, I, I kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier, is that recruiters thought they were doing a good job because they increased the number of hires, but then the hiring managers are like, you're not filling the right role. So there was this misalignment in the definition of success. And then let's face it, the feedback loop is broken. Um, I, I consulted about a year ago with a, um, a, a prospect client that uh, read the book and they're like, oh, we've got an SLA with our, our clients on feedback. I said, okay, well, cool. Um, what does the, what does the client have to do for you? Like what, what's the deadline? And they go, well, we don't have any deadlines on them. I said, then that's not an SLA. That's a contract. <laughs> so we're going to, we're going to fix this. We're going to create some accountability. And what this does is, is it, it kind of addresses some lack of, um, focus, lack of efficiency. We all have a lack of time and a lack of, of resources. So with those constraints, I wanted to see how can I use and leverage those constraints to maximize sprint recruiting and, and agile. That was kind of the thing for me was like, they're doing more with less and higher quality. Let me see if I could do that in recruiting. So we created four principles of, of sprint recruiting or agile recruiting. So imagine squeezing everything you can down a funnel. And that's essentially what agile does um, and within sprint recruiting. So if you've got 400 roles and you've got three recruiters, you ask the hiring managers, okay, what needs to be filled? They're going to say all of them. You and I both know that's completely unrealistic. Again, lack of time, constraint on resources, all that other kind of stuff. How do we use that to our favor? So the first principle is creating a sprint and all a sprint is, is putting a bookend. So you, instead of going, Hey, hiring manager with the 400, which ones are the most important? I'm going to put a time constraint on there and say, over the next two weeks, where do you want my team and me to focus? That's going to have the maximum value for you and your team. So I'm already kind of constraining that. That's that first step of the funnel. Once they come up with that, and let's say they come up with 20 positions. These are absolutely, we've got to get these done. Fantastic. I'm now going to give you a budget of points. So 200 points of those 20 jobs, I want you to assign a point value and we're going to fill those jobs in order. So now I am putting the onus of prioritization where it belongs, which is with my client. They are defining success over those next two weeks. 
And then I'm going to use the third principle, which is work in progress limits to limit the number of candidates in each stage of the process. That way we're not recruiting 25 candidates over five weeks only for the manager to go back and try to hire one of the first five. And, you know, then they're surprised they're no longer in the market. No, we want to limit that. We want to limit that FOMO and get them to move quickly because that's going to help us be able to create that drumbeat. So once I hit that whip limit, let's say it's five. Once I've scheduled five interviews for that top priority role with the hiring manager, I stop working on it. And then I work on the next one in priority and I try to do the same thing. That's that drumbeat. And then the last one is feedback keeps everything going. So feedback, the deadline is 48 hours. So manager, if I give you, I submit over to you five candidate profiles, you have 48 hours to give me feedback. And if not, then I'm going to go to my manager. Who's going to go to your manager and say, this one was given some, some serious points. You said it was important. Why are we not getting feedback? And then by the time it gets to my level, I'm going directly to the head of the entire business unit and saying, okay, you indicated that this machine learning engineer was a hundred of your 200 points. Has something changed? Nine times out of 10, they go, no. I'm like, well, you might want to tell your hiring manager because it's now been three days since we've gotten feedback. Just imagine the heat that's applied but it's not on the recruiter. It's where it belongs because now I've, as a leader, I've got a, I've got a dashboard that tells me what's most important to my client, how many candidates we have in each stage of the process, where are the real bottlenecks? And I go on the offense rather than being defensive, trying to defend my team without the, I mean, just honestly with the a lack of data, because now I've got those leading measures to show. It's tons to unpack. I mean, it's it's fascinating getting kind of the internal perspective, right? I think a lot of people listening are on the agency side. Mm-hmm. This this applies. I mean, this is all the principles, you know, get the start date, get it on paper, get mm-hmm. them to commit. I'm always saying you want to put the ball in their court as quickly. It's like a hot potato. It's like get in their court as often as possible. Mm-hmm. Do that on the front end. Set the expectations. Um uh, it's all those same principles apply on the outside kind of looking in and plus internally, I've always, I have been interested in like, I don't do as much with internal, but I've like, Oh, I got so many hires. And it always was a red flag to me. I'm like, what does that mean? Right. Like, right. is that a good thing? Right. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know, but like, it was just kind of like, it's like, I don't, I still don't know if they're solving a problem. Mm-hmm. A business problem just because they got a bunch of hires. So I love that you brought that up and kind of putting kind of the onus on the manager. Right. It's also kind of systemizing. And it's just like, yeah, what is the priority in assigning? I, mean, I love the point system, mm-hmm. but you kind of have to break that. And the way you said five submittals and move on. Yeah, that is a that is a recruiting wide internal, external. That has to be how you think and you operate. You know, the 10, 15, 20, 25 submittals. I mean, it, it drives me nuts when i Mm -hmm. see it if we ever do it in internally i'm I'm like always asking questions what is going on here right Right? typically we've gotten feedback and it's in a shift in the rec that's okay Mm -hmm. right and then we got to kind of work on the initial qualification but that is a huge kind of internal meter that is super important to have well and and i've actually worked with agencies before um because they were like well why would i apply points i've got the dollar value in there i said okay but you know we looked at one they had um two major clients that just wore them out. And I said, this is these two clients. I would put them on, on sprint, you know, and say, okay, you've got these 15 roles, which ones, you know, you've got a hundred dollars of my time over the next two weeks, 
where do you want me to spend that time? I was like, and you become obsessed with making sure you hit your whip limits and you hold them accountable. Um, because what was happening is they were just, they were busy. And, and I went to the agency owner and I said, look, you're, dude, you're bootstrapping this. You know, you are absolutely wasting money and the recruiters are wasting your money, but they don't, they don't know it. It's not really their fault. They're in that, that, that frenzy. You need to provide that direction and you go in and manage that relationship and say, I've got limited time. I've got limited resources, but also as an agency imagine being able to get 48 hour turnaround. You know, you, you get a job, you start working on it. You submit candidates. What happens? A week, a week goes by. You don't hear anything. And then you hear, oh, well, we changed the job description. Wouldn't you like to know that 48 hours into a search versus a week? You know, the same things apply internally and, and with an agency. And what we, what we were able to do with this one agency is that they actually positioned themselves as they were able to work on, they had like maybe 10 of the 60 or 70 roles that they had formed out to agency. They were able to increase their, their efficiency and lock in their target because of the parameters that we put in Sprint that they started getting more and more and more from the other clients because they were able to focus on the quality, not just the quantity, but the quality. And that put them heads and shoulders above, you know, the people that were just trying to put cheeks in the seat and make a buck. There's an issue here that happens when I tell people, you know, whether it's outreach or within you actually working on a job of like, well, that's like passive or that's a soft sell. I'm like, nothing is passive. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they're a good client or if it's a good rec in the beginning. That's why I don't hard pitch. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to get them because I'm on my turf and understand, is this even worth us working on? Mm -hmm. Right, because you identify the quality, then you get to the quantity, as you said. Versus, as you said, some people look for, well, I got 100 recs. I had someone over the summer, I got 10,000 recs. How many have you closed the last uh, six weeks? Mm -hmm. Zero. So you have zero Rex is right. what I just heard. Right. Right. I mean, that, that truth be told, I mean, that's what it was. You know, and he keeps asking for our help and delivery. I'm like, dude, go qualify a rec. Give me one that's going to close by Monday. Mm -hmm. And we'll go find people. Yeah. And it's got nothing. So a bunch of people got agreements, but they don't actually have recs. So there's a huge mm -hmm. difference when you focus on one and you know, I get recruiting partners. I get, oh, let's partner up, all that. And we have a bunch more roles. I was like, I don't care. I want to focus on one. Yeah. I want to place one with you and see how we get. Because I'm going to get all the red flags and catch all the mm -hmm. holes in the process with one and not waste the rest of our time. Absolutely. And then once we get one done, we can get two done. And then maybe five done mm -hmm. and then 10. And it's got to kind of build from there. So it's a it's a slow burn in the beginning. You're still working your tail off. That's where most of the work, the hard work is in the beginning to get to those results. But like, you just have to have that patience at three months, six months, maybe even up to a year you, to do it the right way mm -hmm. and then get there. But again, it's the hard way to do it. And that's why most people, they, don't, they think they're taking the easy way out by not by not doing it. But uh, you, you've discussed like those consequences. I mean, they're, they're insane. So. Yeah. And, and it's very important, um, you know, within the, within the sprint, um, I would say confines almost, it allows me as a leader, whenever those recruiters get slightly uncomfortable, what typically happens without this prioritization is they go and work on kind of an easy kill. You know, yeah. so if I, if I'm thinking agency, you know, I've got this machine learning engineer, potential $50,000 payout, or I've got this executive assistant that's like six or $7,000. Well, 
well, if I can't find as a recruiter, I'm just beating my head against the wall on this ML engineer. I'm going to go and fill a couple of those. And in my mind, I reason and go, well, I'm almost close to that 50,000. This does not give them room to move, you know, and it, and, and it forces you as a leader to get them to lean into that pain and embrace the suck and push past it. And the beautiful thing is that that iterative aspect of it is like when you do your retro at the end of the sprint. So you, you sit down at the end of the two weeks and say, hey, team, what worked? so we can scale it and what didn't so we can overcome it. Uh, I use the word annihilate. I'm a little extreme, but the other That's thing. Right. I, we like that here. You're good. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, if you think about it, you know, most of the time we don't stop. And if we do, it's like, oh, we come up with all these great ideas and they just sit on a damn whiteboard somewhere and nothing gets done. Right. This, this, you have a living, breathing document that you're going through week over. I mean, uh, every two weeks and helping recruiters, push into that pain and push into that suck and be able to rise out as a result and celebrate it with them, celebrate it with the team. All that's going to do is it's almost like a domino effect. So just a little sidebar. I'm a nerd. I love to research stuff. That's just completely miscellaneous. But I was, I was wondering one day I was like, okay, so I know that everything's got stored energy, right? So whenever I push the domino, if we were to measure the energy to the very last one, how much did it grow? And so scientists actually did this. And if you had a hundred dominoes in a row and you push the amount of, let's just say it's 10, whatever the energy component is, 10 pieces of energy to push that first one. By the time it gets to the very last one, it is the energy that is, has taken for all of it to go has grown a hundred times. And if you think about that and apply it to sprint, Everything that I learned, maybe I found a new website, maybe I found a new message that works or a new Reddit board or a new way to source on GitHub, whatever it is. I did that with that ML engineer. Naturally, your brain's going to go, well, if it works there, could it work over here? So that that's where that, that experimentation comes up. And then you're sharing these best practices with the team. Dude, once you round that corner as a leader, just hold on hold on because your team is going to completely take off and it is so much then you go from trying to be a daycare manager to try and keeping them in the damn lines you know it's like okay let we're, we're testing 10 things right now let's not add another 10 let's see how these yep. 10 are doing and that to me i mean you can tell by my inflection you know my, my smile I, I love it that is the zone man it's so much fun we're kindred spirits. I, I'm the same way. I'm seeing it now with our agency that we started, really officially started building in June. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of making some placements for here and there for some coaching, consulting clients. And then it was like, all right, let's actually make this a thing. And that's like hitting like the the sweet spot. I mean, this is without an ATS, right? So people have to yeah. close their ears when they hear that. Now we're looking at adding one because it's the right time mm -hmm. to add one. And it's like, and we're not just saying, let's just pick one. It's like, what do we need from it? And let's demand those answers from who we're talking to about the system. This is what we need. This is simplified, almost like doesn't have all the other bells and whistles. Like, let's keep it simple because this is going to fix some of our internal communication mm -hmm. that doesn't allow all that. So we can kind of fix that. And then that opens it up. And now we're able to, as he said, have hit the next few dominoes mm -hmm. and then kind of go from there. Because we have the nucleus with the team, amazing sourcers, amazing screeners. They can close deal, qualify, like qualify recs, all that stuff. But it's just kind of a race with communication. But it's like we wanted that like Petri dish in right. a sense. Like I wanted to be hands-on means to kind of like see where all the gaps were and what was going to be move the needle, like give us the most velocity in terms of like ROI and speed of like, okay, let's 
see how far we can take this thing. Let's make a few things break and then fix what matters. You know, as you said, kind of in the next two to four weeks on that end. Mm-hmm. And then, all right, well, what can it look like for Q1? So we're able to kind of maybe 3x our output without with the same amount of time spent, right? Yeah. And all that. So like, yeah. that's kind of how we're looking. At, it's a process. I mean, this is five months into it, right? It's not going to be five days or five weeks. Like you have to live and breathe this like vision and mission as like you're saying, like yep. it has to be kind of part of it. And if, but if you do that, it's embrace the suck, embrace things breaking and just know that that's like a natural consequence of it. That's healthy, right? Not necessarily good or bad. It's just healthy, like and embrace that. That's the magic. Like, yeah. and as you said, if one messaging campaign works, right? Wait, can I use this on like every other skill set? Oh yeah, like, potentially. And like that is oof, when we get those moments for people in the program. I've, I've I know I've changed their life forever. Yep. Yeah, and and, and, and that's fun. the beautiful part. Yeah, and and, it, and it's yeah. fun to be part of that journey. And then you know, for for me, kind of working across um, you know internal agency uh, across different industries. You know, I always tell them, I was like, look, the methodology stays the same. The execution is very tailored. And that, that's what I want to work with you on is, is what makes the most sense for you and within your organization. So, you know, working with a very large global uh, commercial real estate firm, they have 250 some odd recruiters across the globe. You know, how is the point system going to be done? Well, you know, for one division, it was one way. For another division, it was a different way. And I remember the, the leader going, is that okay? I'm like, we're still getting the business to drive the prioritization. Yeah, it's totally fine. We're still we're, we're still hitting that second principle. Um, but how you're executing it at a local level, that needs to be very tailored. You know, and it needs to be client-driven and, and clients need to have some kind of, um, uh, what do you call it, say-so in it. But there have been so many times, you know, I worked with um, one agency that they would do, I still don't really quite understand what they did. They explained it to me three times, <laughs> but they had such a niche um, and, and how they went about the point system and how they went about prioritization was completely different than anything else that, that we had ever done um, working, you know, with, with other agencies, but it worked for them, you know, and, and I got to learn something. I was like, Okay, well, this this is somewhat pliable um, across things. So it it gives me a an opportunity to kind of stress test my own methodology, make sure that it's still valid, it's still relevant, um, and that it doesn't need to evolve or or iterate. Well, I, I love that you're you're doing it and living it, and it, it's such a good. You, you kind of have to, right? Mm-hmm. I think we coach and consult like that is always one of the things that that's. Uh, that we have to like self audit, like, am I practicing what I preach right? Right. All, all the time? And it is good to put stuff out there that I found. It's like, if I'm putting it out there, like I got to make sure that I'm, I'm actually doing it, right. uh, you know, and staying consistent with it. So mm-hmm. I, it's super important. Yeah. It's uh, called eating your own dog food. I think. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. All right. So we've covered sprint recruiting. Yep. Let's get into high performance recruiting. When did you realize you needed to write the second book? What's kind of what, and then kind of what's going into it, right? What's the evolution, you know, from sprint recruiting? Yeah, I think I shared with you, I actually wrote another book that I was going to release, but um, I put it on the back burner. I mean, it's completed. I just have to edit it. But this one, for some reason, I just could not get this one out of my head. So I was, I was noticing a, a theme of whenever I was meeting with people about sprint recruiting, we naturally started talking about what, what does a good recruiter look, look like? And I don't, I don't like to use the term good. Um, you know, again, I come from a performance background before I got into HR where you were graded on everything leading and lagging. Um, 
So, you know, I always kind of shift in and go, let's define what a high performance recruiter looks like. And I was doing some training for, uh, for Hatchworks on high performance and leading high performance teams. And so it just, it, it kind of kept to be this reverberating uh, theme. And I was like, all right, let me just see what I got. Um, sprint recruiting, I wrote in a month and a half, two months. Um, the book that I have on the back burner took me about six months. This one took me six weeks. It was just like, I, I, it just flowed. And for me, that's whenever I'm like, yeah, I'm like, all right, I've got something. Um, so what, what the, what I defined is, is seven traits of high performers in recruiting, the seven environments that they do the best in, like they, they just flourish. And then the seven types of leaders that are needed for the high performers. And so, you know, just looking at, at high performers, and again, I've, I've worked across industries, I've, I've consulted, I've led, there's about seven that, that really kind of stick out whenever I think of each high performing team. I'm like, yeah, they've got six out of the seven or five out of the seven. The first one is intellectually curious. Um, growing up, I always got called the Riddler because I would always ask why. And, you know, going to a Catholic school early in, in, in childhood is that's not, they don't really like that a lot. Um, and I remember people going, can't you just accept it? And I'm like, no, I, I want to understand why, like, like, how does this work? Where did this come from? And, and it, it was just the way that my brain was wired. And I find that not because I'm this way, but others that, that I consider to be high performing recruiters, they don't just look at a job. They look at it almost in a 360 way. And that's why they're better at developing a search. That's why they're better at developing candidates and bringing them across the board and actually closing the deal. Um, because they've got that intellectual curiosity about the job, about the industry, about the market, about the candidate and about the hiring. It, it's, it permeates everything of, of who they are. It's one of the, one of the things that I look for. Uh, whenever I'm hiring someone is, is when they're asking me a lot of questions, tactical questions, um, thought provoking questions, that's whenever I go, Hmm, I like this person, you know, because if they're doing it with me, they're going to do it with my client. And that's what I want. The next is grit or tenacity. They just will not let go of something. Um, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that the worst thing in the world to tell me for my own health is you can't get that done. Oh God. <laughs> like, I just really wish you wouldn't have said that. And I have found like some of, some of the, the higher performers that I loved working with is because I knew as a leader, I could give them the most complicated job and they were going to find a way to get it done. They were just, it, it just, I, I didn't have to worry. I knew that that job would be closed and it would be closed with the best candidate because they just have this grit. And then the next one is adaptability. Um, they're not going to go over a wall, through a wall. They're going to blow up the wall. I mean, they're just, they're just going to, there is not an obstacle that they don't see as an opportunity to learn something there. You put them in any industry, you put them in any environment against any job, they're going to find a way to perform because that's just who they are. And whenever you get a bunch of high performers who are very heavy on the adaptability and you give them a problem, it's chaos in the room because they spend so much time ideating that you really kind of have to rein them in and say, okay, let, let's pick two or three that we can actually execute on. And then the other is respectful conflict. Um, I can judge a lot by a team whenever I sit in their meetings and it's like kind of dictatorial, you know, everyone's nodding their head, you know, it's like being in church, you know, everyone's agreeing with the preacher. Um, I don't like that. 
I want there to be some dissent because I want people to be looking at something from different angles because it's going to make sure that our solution is a tighter fit, you know, and, and high performance teams, they need that. They crave that ability to be able to express their opinion. And, you know, if you're not used to it, you're going to see this like, oh my God, they're fighting. They're not. That's just their passion coming out, you know, let it go, enjoy it, embrace it. Um, Bursty communication is another one. Um, I have found that most high performers do not tell them every week that you're having a two-hour staff meeting. They will blow their brains out. Um, bursty communications. Um, think about chats with your high performers. Is you know they're in, they're out. You know because they're going back to their task. They they need a quick question answered. You know, fantastic. Let's get that done. And then they, they pull right back out. So you need to be able to, to have different channels for that. So like on Slack, um, I've got one that is just important updates for the team. I've got one that's called a GIF war, uh, every Wednesday or Tuesday. If I remember, I go out there and I ask a business question. They can only answer with gifts. And then I give awards to the ones that make me laugh for the ones that kind of, you know, make me a little uncomfortable, you know, recruiters, we can walk the line of suitable for work. Um, but it's fun, you know, it gives them a chance to kind of come in and interact in a unprofessional way, kind of a personal way, but it's that burst of communication that they want. And then the other is that they are absolutely goal oriented. Um, and not the way that they look at goals is that is the minimum. So you give them a hundred as a target in their brain, it's 125 or 150 because they're going to measure themselves higher than anybody else could. They are the worst at being their own worst critic. And, uh, I didn't, I didn't realize, um, cause you know, I've taken a lot of personality tests and I, I knew I was competitive, but just to show you how sick competitive I am the other day, we were going, uh, we live in Atlanta and we were going somewhere in Midtown and I had never been there. So of course I put on maps and it says you will arrive by two seventeen. I was trying to run red lights past people take shortcuts around traffic to beat that 217 to the point where my husband was like, what are you doing? I was like, I don't know. I'm competing against what Google maps does. I'm going to do you know? time. Yeah. Battling yeah. time. Right. Right. <laughs> but it, it's, you know, it, it's a source of motivation for your high performing recruiters to know that I am performing at optimum level. And if they're not, that's going to trigger that intellectual curiosity, that adaptability, all these other traits to say, how can I get to where I need to be at that high performance level? And then of course, the, the biggest one is accountability. Um, they want, they need, and they crave accountability, not just for them, but also for you as a leader and from their team members and their clients. So I was working with a client who was um, complaining about one of their recruiters. They're like, oh, you know, she's such a great performer, but, She's constantly complaining about her hiring managers. And so then once we put in sprint and we put in that 48 hour thing, and I've got a report I call the ICE report, ICE, which means I've called and cared enough. That, that is for those roles that are way beyond the 48 hours. And I started noticing that this particular recruiter had so many roles that she was working on that were on that ICE report. And so I worked with a leader to start applying the right pressure Ironically, whenever the feedback started coming in and she saw that her leader was holding the other side accountable, her complaints about the hiring managers went down. She wanted that accountability. So if, if I'm looking for 
high performance teams. Those are the seven that I look for. Intellectually curious, they love respectful conflict, they're accountable, adaptable, they are goal oriented, and what's the other burst of communication? And then they have the grit. Those are every every high performing recruiter I've ever worked with fits probably ninety percent of that definition. The the grit I think might be the number one thing that I tell agency owners to look for when they're hiring because they get, I think they get confused. Oh, I got to have a veteran or a new person or a person that doesn't know anything or whatever they're looking for. Like that's what you want to identify because that ten- that tenacity, you can figure out some of the rest, oh, yeah. I mean, right? They have some of that grit and they're going to probably have a lot of the other pieces oh, absolutely. in a sense. Right. I, I just, I love that one. I love that. I think it's number two. You mentioned, I love that one. I mean, all of them are gold, but that's like, I'm just thinking back the last couple of years. Cause the, if you have the grit, you tend to kind of complain less or whatever else, mm-hmm. or you can kind of fix some of those complaints. Mm-hmm. You know, cause I do tell my managers like to that point you just made, you know, we have a, a, a SDR that just, just started. And I told her like how important it is. Here's how you get buy-in from your recruiters. Mm-hmm. Right. And the things that you can do, to affect and to show, you know, you make that cold call, right? They're not making the cold call to clients. So I like right. fight for their candidates, like the different things that you can do, you're going to get way more out of the team. Mm-hmm. Right. And kind of, and as you said, the dominoes going in the right direction for you too. I mean, yeah, it, it's, it's kind of like a perfect list, you know, if you will. I mean, I, I love it. I mean, that is, I'm excited to kind of read, read this thing where it, when, when you release it. Cause like, I, I'm like, I, I'm just going to be, I am, I'm going to be nodding my head the whole time. Yeah. I'm going to be the person at church. So yeah. just not it. Cause I, I agree with all, all the principles and, oh, and then the conflict one too. I mean, that is, you know, my, I was telling my wife, I'm not yelling. I'm, I'm passionate. Yeah. Right? Cause she's yeah. like, you're down there. I'm probably going to hear it from recording this. She's like, what do you got going on down there? I'm, right. like, I'm passionate. Like yeah. me and Trent, we're talking, like we get it. Like we're on the same team here. Like we're yeah. passionate. Right. And it's just like, that's a good thing, right? You don't want to be robotic or anything no, like that. No. There is a healthy way to go about it. Um, but he said, if you have the goals, you kind of have why we're here, what we're trying to get done. Like, that's a lot easier for them to have that conflict absolutely than everything else. Right. And then, and you know, you, you were mentioning, you know, things to look for, uh, when hiring a recruiter, you know, a lot of people like I need someone that has got seven years of experience and I always push back because I, my preference is I would so much rather train than untrain. I had, um, it was actually a banker. Um, she was the top performer, at one of our competitors um, and I had just taken over the region. She had just been hired and, you know, everyone was just worshiping, you know, the ground that she walked on. I didn't like her. I didn't like her. She complained all the time and her performance was not indicative of what we had heard in the market. We found out why, but nonetheless, the, the reason I did not like her was because she never provided a solution. She was always putting the other team members down. And she always said, well, it's such and such bank. And she caught me on the wrong day at the wrong time. And she goes, well, train at such and such bank. I was like, then why in the hell don't you go back? If it was so good, why did you leave? And she couldn't answer the question. Two weeks later, she went back. And I was fine because I, I hired someone who had no, they had sales experience, but no banking experience. They had that oomph. They had that drive. They had that. I'm like, once this person gets turned on to the right products and the, and, 
I'm going to have to kind of pull them back a little bit. I mean, they're going to be all over the place, but you know what? I'll take that passion any day of the week over someone that thinks that, you know, well, it was greener over here. Well, you know, the pasture is always going to be green where you fertilize it. And I think having that grip, you understand that you'll, you'll go into an open field that's dead. You're going to find some way to make it green. It is what well, you just said. I love the sales background, but no recruiting background. Oh, yeah, man. I do think it's almost impossible to bring someone for sales outside of recruiting and get them right into sales and recruiting. That is very hard. I was never recommended. No. Get them to sales to recruit back to sales. Yes. And like that funnel is, I mean, I've tried and tested. I know that's what AirTech that we always try to do, but even for smaller firms, I've just, that is what has the best success rate mm -hmm. I've seen time and time again. Because, um, because yeah, the good, good salespeople, they just, they just have it. You know, they, they understand the importance of relationships. They understand the importance of discipline. Uh, good ones do, you know, they understand the leading measures that are going to, you know, eventually lead into the lagging. Um, so how many, you know, as a recruiter, uh, you know, speaking in, in grit, uh, since we're kind of talking about this, the, the, each chapter I always try to start with a story. Um, and then I get into some of the science and the stuff behind it. And the one for grit, um, is a guy that I'd interviewed and he actually works for us now. Um, I had interviewed him because we were looking at the time for a recruiter for elevator inspectors. And just saying that just makes my skin crawl. Um, because this, you know, everybody's got that one client group that you're just like, I will never work with it again. And elevator inspectors are mine. I mean, it was a very tough market, um, very hard. I mean, these people weren't on LinkedIn. Um, most of them had flip phones. So, I mean, it wasn't like you could just email them. Um, so I was interviewing this guy and um, I said, you know, this is really tough. Like, what do you do whenever you get 10 no's in a row? He goes, well, you know what I like is, you know, I kind of run a baseline. How many, what's the average number of no's I get per day before I get a yes? He goes, so let's say it's 15 and I have 10 no's. Well, I've got five more. And if I can go ahead and get those five out of the way, then the rest of the day is going to be yes. And I remember thinking about first thing and I was like, he's hired. And then the second one yeah. was going, God, what a mindset, you know? I mean, just like it, it was a mental ninja for me to kind of, I mean, I thought about it for weeks on end going, how much more successful would I have been early in my career if I had that kind of a mindset, you know? Oh, it's crazy. Right? That's grit. That's grit. It's like, how many no's do I need to get to? And then the rest of it's yes. And I'm just, I love it. And that's why I love working with him. He just, he gives me so much energy because he's just, um, he's just delightful, but he's so freaking wound tight. He's wound tighter than a Timex. And I love that because it's always toward the positive aspects of it. I, I love that. And you're, you're making me realize more and more that the best salespeople I've come across would never consider themselves good salespeople. Absolutely. And I think that is one of the myths that I have to help people break. They're like, I'm good at sales. I'm like, yeah, like these are the characteristics. Like you just like, you keep going, you keep attacking. Like you, you know, you're, you play the numbers game first and yeah, you can always play the numbers game a little bit better, more strategically. Yeah. But like, as you said, like it's a, it's a mindset thing more than anything and you can you can train yourself into it for mm -hmm. sure but there's it is something about recruiting and sales like you have those experiences from different industries and different jobs and people that have tried different things that's where i've noticed some of the overlap mm -hmm. right it, it's some of the best like i have a um 
a client. She was a physical uh, therapist and dealing with some of those patients that don't want to get better and all right. that. Like mates recruiting feel easy. Oh, right? yeah. I've had some people come in that have sold MLM products and all that. Well, recruiting seems easy compared to selling MLM at first and all that and bugging all yeah. your neighbors, right? Yeah. So like they're different things. They're like that, like it almost feels like easy. They've established the mindset and the grit almost elsewhere. And mm-hmm. so that's where some of those unique backgrounds, don't, you don't have to look for recruiting, but kind of what adds up. And I think the, the owners that I see that hire the best teams can think in those kind of that abstract way mm-hmm. and kind of see how different principles and lessons from other industries could apply to recruiting versus trying to be like one dimensional, be like, well, it's a recruiting role. I got to get someone that's been a recruiter. It's like, no, like you, you, you X out this whole pool oh, yeah. of people that would do amazing, especially with some of the margins in agency recruiting, you could change their absolute life Absolutely. by introducing to them. And then they're so grateful that you brought them in here. They're like, sweet. I'm not selling cable anymore, right. uh, you know, or, or serving tables. Like I've been how much yeah. per placement like yeah. yes like all you know tell me how how, how to jump mm-hmm. uh so like that is where i see the real opportunity in hiring and yeah. and recruiting it, it's just like, i think if you get that it opens up a whole amazing pool of talent absolutely and then too i think agencies you know specifically that that take on that mindset um put themselves in a totally different category against their peers and you know when we were doing our our, our pre-call I shared with you whenever I was at the bank, uh, we had 20 some odd vendors and we're spending X millions of dollars. I had to reduce it to, you know, X minus $10 million in spend. And I needed to consolidate it down to three different agencies. And my selection process was looking at agencies who were partners for me, you know, people that I could pick up the phone and go, Hey, Clark, are you seeing this in the market? If so, are, ask your recruiters, are you, are you seeing this shift in the market? Uh, if so, how are you guys dealing with it? And we would share that information. Um, if if one of the internal hiring managers called this agency and was like, hey, I need this, the agency would call me and go, hey, is it okay You know, if we engage? We have this mutual respect. Um, I saw them as an augmentation to my team. The other 17, they did everything they could to try and circumvent the system. Um, and ironically, I actually ran numbers on, um, I'm really big about quick quits, quality of hire. And so I was looking at these other 17 compared to the three, the number of quick quits we had within the first year before the project was done. And it was astronomical, the difference in quality. And it just made me, it made the decision so much easier from a data point standpoint. I already had the gut of, hey, I really like dealing with Adam and I really like dealing with Ben over at, you know, iTac. Uh, they're great partners. Um, you know, they would also give me competitive information. <laughs> and, you know, if, if it wasn't one of their clients, I go, hey, I hear there's a layoff about to happen at such and such place. If you got any roles, you know, you might want to get your recruiters after that. Um, so it made breaking up with those other 17 completely easy. And I got to be such a fierce component that they wanted to reduce it down to two. And I basically went toe to toe with our COO of the entire bank. And I said, over my cold dead body, will you make me choose between these three and, and, and only get it down to two? I need these three. And this is why. And he acquiesced, but I, I had that relationship with them. And so whenever I am working with agencies, you know, whether it's about sprint or about high performance teams, it's about differentiation. You know, what makes you different than, you know, ABC personnel out there that'll go and just put a cheek in the seat. 
And, and whenever you're able to drive that value, you're also able to drive that margin. Well, such and such is only charging 20%. Okay, well then go to such and such. And whenever you, you have a resignation the next 90 to 180 days, call me and I'll do it for you at 25%. Yep. And having that yep. level of confidence it's it and I, I tell people it's just like dating you gotta have a little just a touch of that that confidence that borders ego to make you sexy enough for people to go hmm, i want that you know it's a very fine line you have to walk though it, it, it is very well said i could, couldn't agree anymore talk about it all the time in the program on this podcast i mean that is you have to know your value. You have to know your differentiator mm -hmm. and you have to know your ideal client profile. And yes, there are different stages of understanding that depending on where you are in business, but you, that should always be the goal to figure out immediately and to understand. And if you don't have that work to understand it, mm -hmm. get on the call with candidates and clients and don't even try to pitch anything. Just learn your market. Yeah. Right. Ask people around, what would you, you know, pay before and to find or whatever, like just do some of the research, right? That makes everything else a lot easier. Mm -hmm. And then when you have it, and there is a little fake it till you make it at some points, maybe in the beginning, but once you start, it doesn't take long. Once you've made a few placements, mm -hmm. like that's it, right? Three months in recruiting is like three years doing anything else. It feels like a time. So like, more like you could have a whole differentiator in three months. Like, right. you know, you could be the expert skilled trades recruiter in three months. Mm -hmm. That's how I felt back in when I started. I was like, I knew everything within three months. Now I didn't. I had a lot more to learn, but I knew a lot more than the, the clients, right. you know, about the market and the pay rate and the, had the current pulse on the market. Mm -hmm. That was one of the things that I could pick up in two to three months, right? Super quick was, as you said, that differentiator, that pulse in the market, right. who they were going to find, doing references, getting leads, like all the different things. That was time I spent hundreds of hours that they didn't spend mm -hmm. on learning the pulse. And you can always control that early and often. So you want to get your competitive advantage as as quickly as possible. That to me is what is you get the, qu the the quickest path to success. Like get the advantage and then leverage it on your yeah. profile and your messaging on your calls, everything. Like that is the key, mm -hmm. and it makes makes things just so much easier. Just going downstream versus upstream. Well, and just as an example, so we we do uh, we work on project work, but we also do staff augmentation, and and you know we've got employees in Latin uh, Latin America, as well as United States. And a lot of companies are looking at moving from offshore to nearshore. And the way that we've positioned ourselves is, is you don't need to know Latin America because we do. You just need to know us. And so how do we, how do we build that message out? I, I, I have, I've built out country reports. These are why we hire people in these countries. It's from economic to the volatility of the political environment. There's like 17 different things that we, put into our own little formula and we kind of rank it. Um, you know, we only do business in companies that are eight to 10. And here's the 17 things that go into this particular ranking. It, it positions us as the SMEs for all things near shore. You know, we know their culture. We've been able to go in and build, I mean, just hella teams. I love our teams. I love going and visiting our, our teams, especially in Latin America. Um, because they're just different and the, and the cultures are so different and they're so incredibly proud. And for me as a recruiter, I can sell that all day long, twice on Sunday, you know, yep. here's why we're in there. And Oh, by the way, here's the intrinsic thing. And Oh, by the way, our retention of our employees is 98.5%. So you go and find that anywhere else in the market. I'll wait. 
That's the best. Mm -hmm. That's the best. Uh, We were just talking about that on the sales call earlier of just like having that confidence to know. And it's just like, all right, that's what you want to do right now. Like, that's fine. I'll be here three months, six months, 12 months. You just, you just let me know. And you say with a smile on your face, like a real smile. Mm -hmm. And they're like, huh? Like they don't forget it. So, and they come back and you get much better business. Totally. Totally. And, and, you know, I'm not saying, you know, if you're, if like, if you're a brand new agency, go in and start on it at the 30%. I'm not advocating that. You got to work your way. You got to work your way. Yeah. Yeah. So this is an earned, earned thing. This is when do this. Nothing is a shortcut for doing the work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You got to roll your sleeves up. And, and even whenever I'm, I'm, you know, negotiating a consulting, you know, I've, I've had some people go, your hourly rate is incredibly high. Like, yeah, it is because I've got 20 years of freaking experience that I'm about to box in for you over the next 10 hours. So yeah. Yeah, I'm giving you 20 years of my life for this cost. And trust me, you're getting it cheap because that, there's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears and lessons that I have learned the hard way that I'm going to help you be able to dodge. And you're going to look better as a result. Absolutely right. It's a famous Picasso, Picasso story, right? He draws a picture on a napkin for a lady mm-hmm. and he's like, how much would that be? You know, 20,000 bucks or whatever. He's like, well, you, you just scribble on a napkin. He's like, well, I've been you know, doing this for 40 years or whatever. Yeah. Right. It's like, it's just a scribble. Like, it's just like, no, this is my life's work that you're asking for and, yeah. and everything else. And this is a way I'm delivering it to you, but that's what it took. And, you know, I think those, it's really important to get to that level. And it is a sliding scale on where yeah, you're at your experience and the results that you've gone but mm-hmm. you know if you got to start you know you got to start somewhere but that's like kind of if you reverse engineer it like that's the way to go about it um, it is and, and, and it allows you to be able to select the clients that you want to work with and yep. that's going to do nothing but increase the success that you're already having and and which is going to continue to be able to keep you at that elevated price because I, what, I, what i do find is that and especially now um you know and, and we done this sometimes it's like we'll go and work on something that's outside of our normal little tech stack or whatever um to be able to get the revenue because things are you know the economy is not fun right now um but that's that's a short-term strategy that's not our long-term strategy you know so having a long-term strategy and understanding short-term pain for long-term gain um is not necessarily sacrificing your value it's kind of putting putting food on the table right now but learn what you can in each step of that way, because it's going to help you whenever you get to your end destination. And it's also going to make you hella thankful for it. I mean, you know, I, I tell people all the time, you know, I've been married twice, I'm married my third time, uh, first, two to, first two to women, this one to a guy. So, you know, tried something a little bit different. But, you know, I, I don't think that everything that I've been through from a relationship standpoint, I don't think that I would treasure my current marriage and protect it as, as much as I do now, because I've been through the worst. So now that I've got what I've actually looked for, oh my God, I'm going to, I'm fiercely protect it. The same thing is true when you're building that agency, when you're building your recruiting organization, when you reach that pinnacle where you go, I'm here, this is, this is what I've wanted. You become super protective, super selective over it. And your team, your team will borderline idolize you for that because you brought them through that journey that they didn't know that they needed to go through and they're better recruiters for it. Your organization is better for it. It's just a fantastic place to be. And usually if you're high performance, you go, Oh, this is great. Let's sit here for a day. Now what's that next, what's that next peak that we're going to take on? 
and it weeds out the people that aren't going to be high performing or at least aren't going to be a fit. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's good. I'd rather have a quick yes or no than a dragged out. I don't Gosh, know yes. what's going on here. Yeah. So what is it, Paul? Paul, I think Paul said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. I am so, I will respect you so much more for saying, Hey, Trent, I don't have this journey in me. Okay, cool. Let's, let's talk about what that looks like. You know, let me help you. Find and, and you keep, and you keep it alive, right? You yeah. don't burn the bridge. And that is a lesson and a trait. I think a lot of people need to learn and understand. I had to kind of figure that out too. You know, when I was younger, it's like how to keep things alive and not burn bridges. Cause I got, you know, excited. I would jump into projects and I've had to learn how to just like, just take a step, take a deep breath. Okay. Like, let's see, let's, let's investigate a little bit more. Like, what are we talking about? Like, and like find the lane, um, whether you're optimistic or skeptical, whatever you still have to like figure out what that lane is, mm -hmm. um, to kind of keep things open. And that's why you don't want to sell to everyone all the time, right. because if I had done that with a few people a couple of years ago, when I was starting this, I wouldn't have some of the amazing opportunities that I have now, mm -hmm. uh, with people. And cause just cause I didn't have it then I was like, you know, you have the vision of like, I could have this down the road or I don't know, like if this person maybe is further along then I could actually even coach them, but I'm going to get to know them and learn. Right. And like, then they promote me up for having that attitude. And as I kind of get there and I get on the level where I can, I can help them, then it makes it so much easier and the trust is built in. I mean, it's, there's so many ways just like having that attitude and approach, just assume you're going to be here for 30, 40, 50 years in your career. You think of it that way and every interaction starts to become more meaningful. Yeah. It does. Not everyone's going to be your best friend or anything like that. Right. You might not record a podcast with every single person, but like just being intentional that leaves a lasting impact yeah, on people. It does. Uh, so it does. And um, the, I, I guess the the other thing to remember is that every time you say yes to something, you are saying no to something else. So you need to evaluate what you're saying yes against what you're saying no to, and that that's going to help you evaluate what's what's the right route to go. Um, so I'm saying yes to this client who's very large who's going to give me 15 roles and I'll be able to make X amount of dollars if I get all of them filled, but I'm going to have to say no to some of these other clients that I really enjoy working with. And yeah, maybe I may not make, make as much of the money, but I know their company. I know their value. I, I know what they're looking for. It's almost like second nature for me, but I'm going to have to learn this over here. So you can see just kind of going through this little T chart. It's like, this seemed like a sexy yes, but now it's more of a no because I'm going to be beholden to this one client versus I've got 10 over here, you know? So what happens when that one client, the economy tanks, they're a bank, you know, they're going to be the first to lay off first to cut things. Now you're going to wish that all those no's you said that you would have kept them because they're, you know, eight out of the 10 are still in business, you know? So yeah, I always try to tell people success is intentional. Make sure that you prioritize everything in your life according to what is the most important. And then the other is make sure that you evaluate your yeses against your nose. And then once you commit, commit, don't look back. That's important. And, and I love that. Just being intentional with every part of your business mm -hmm. and your recruiting desk. So I, a ton of gold in here and, and I really appreciate kind of you, you sharing all this stuff. This is, Super. I know we could keep going, but we're not for this time, but I know we could. Uh, Trent, where we got Sprint Recruiting. This yep. is out. People can just buy that right now. Yes. Uh, is that on Amazon? Where can we... F Amazon. Yeah. So to tell us, kind of where, where can we find you? We will have this on the episode page, but yeah. just so people can hear it. All right. So I'm, I'm yeah, where can we find you? Active on LinkedIn. Uh, you can keep up with um, 
all things high performance recruiting and sprint recruiting at sprintrecruiting.com. Uh, I'm also on Twitter. I don't do a lot as much on, on Twitter as, as I used to. Uh, high performance recruiting, <laughs> if I can get it edited in time, this is, it's like you're, it's like you birth it and then you have to rebirth it. I don't like the rebirth side. Uh, but I'm, I'm hoping to get it done, uh, to release in either December or early January and it'll be out on, on Amazon. Uh, you can go to sprint recruiting and then there's a little tab that says high performance recruiting. You can go in there and put your email in and I'll send an email out, uh, with a link, uh, once the book is, is posted. So also available for coaching, for consulting, you know, whether it's sprint recruiting or high performance. Um, I usually tell people that, that high performance recruiting is the who and the what, and the sprint recruiting is the how, and I just did it in reverse. I built the how first, and then now I'm kind of going and going, well, who, you know, who's the who and the what? Um, but they, it, it, it all kind of blends in together, which to me makes it very easy. I love it. Uh, well, this is, this is fantastic. So, you know, if you're listening, definitely connect with Trent on LinkedIn, follow us up. We've got some great content out there. Obviously get the book. I can't wait to get that and start reading it. Uh, cause I I'll know I'm just going to be nodding my head the whole time. Uh, I appreciate that. And, uh, this was fantastic. So Trent, I appreciate you, Thank you. coming on. Thanks for sharing the story. Um, uh, this was great. All right. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Of course. Of course. All right. Well, that'll do it for this episode. And, uh, all right. Well, you know, as we always say, happy hunting and uh, we'll see you next time.